Welcome back, everyone, to the Bible Study Podcast, where we are looking at Exodus 13 through 18. So, Ben, what is the theme of this section? Well, in this section, we are moving out of Egypt. So they've been redeemed out of slavery and are being uh, taken to the the mountain, Mount Sinai, to enter into the Lord's presence. They're coming out of slavery and being brought into worship. And in this section, we're moving through the wilderness. So this is the wilderness training. Sounds daunting. Mm, it does sound daunting. <laughs> now let me ask you this. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where... Once you got into that situation, you realize you are woefully unprepared for it. The question really should be, in what situations have you been ever prepared <laughs> okay. for what's going oh, yeah. to happen? A better question is, have you ever found yourself in a situation and you actually felt adequate to be in that situation? Rarely. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, man. Oh, you don't give yourself enough credit. <laughs> All right, well then when was the last time you found yourself in a situation where you felt woefully unprepared for it? Oh, goodness. Can I answer every category of my life <laughs> right now? Oh, just, I'm in an overwhelming stage where everything seems to be mm-hmm. important and urgent and needing my attention, and I'm not fully ready or prepared to to meet that need, and so... So this is a hard question for me to answer. Well, the immediate need you had to m- meet this evening was a Aww, sick little baby boy, and you baby. met that challenge with grace and skill. So, <laughs> Poor Sam threw up, you guys. It's been a rough 24 hours. Yeah, that's why we're recording this a little later. Uh-huh. And, we had and I'm on my like, third cup of coffee today. <laughs> so we've I'm wired. I'm good. <laughs> Well, a couple of weeks ago, I found myself in a situation where it became painfully obvious that I was unprepared, and that was at mile two <laughs> of the half marathon that you I roped us into. That you roped us into. Yep, it was about mile two, and I realized, yep, I am not prepared for this. And but you did it. I'm so proud of it you. It just kept moving. Perpetual forward motion. <laughs> just keep moving. And... Uh, so that actually is a good illustration of what the wilderness here in Exodus um, 15, in Exodus 16 through 18 is setting up. In one sense, this wilderness is testing, it's training, it's preparing you. What are the other situations in life where we need training for, need preparation for? A job. Yep, we had to. You had to be prepared for a job. We generally call. I mean, in theory, that's what the four to five to six years that we call college mm-hmm. is designed to do to prepare you for a job. We can debate on the <laughs> success of, uh, <laughs> of that. All right, so you got to be prepared for a job. Got to be. Um, how can you adequately prepare for motherhood? Fatherhood, that's a challenge. You, I don't think there's ever a time in parenthood where you feel um, 
prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, even by the time, you know, everything's always new. So with your first child, everything's new. But with your second one, everything's new trying to balance two. And if you have three, everything's new trying to balance three. And at every age and stage, it's new. And so you're never quite prepared. And I would say seasons of life, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times there's things that come into certain seasons that you're not prepared for and don't expect. Mm-hmm. Seasons of life, marriage. Mm-hmm. How prepared were you for your marriage? Oh, boy. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> mm. Yeah, a couple. Remember sh- the groceries when we first started out. <laughs> yep, couple, couple, couple of your uh, shocks that you had was the quantity of food. Quantity, because you oh grew boy. up with five girls, so you had no idea. Um, yeah, your let's I- just say the introduction to the world of boys was mm. quite a stark mm. one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So your. Your idea of what constitutes a lunch and my idea of what constitutes a lunch <laughs> were very different. And so that took some adjusting for you. Um, just things like general cleanliness <laughs> and smells and smells. things along those lines. There's a lot of things in life that you just can't be prepared for. And so maybe that's one. But there's a lot of things that actually you won't experience unless you go through proper preparation. So, for example, you know, weddings, there's a long season of preparation process, just the logistics of the day. If you want to have dinner, there's a preparation process. I mean, almost everything in life has some type of uh, preparation process. And as we look through this section in Scripture, one of the key pieces is that life in the wilderness is meant to train you. It's meant to prepare you. You know, I've been reading a lot on the early church and the way they formed disciples, formed believers, and it's so interesting, and there's some wonderful parallels and lessons that we need to learn from them. And one of them, John Chrysostom, I mean, he called the preparation that became Lent, so in Lent there'd be 40 days preparation for those who are going to be baptized. He actually called it his training camp. He used mm-hmm. the words for athletic training camp where he was going to put them through their spiritual paces to train them so they can be prepared. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and kind of in our world, we understand things like that, but we often don't equate it to our soul. Mm-hmm. Like we understand the most people <laughs> who sign up for things like half marathons, <laughs> understand the actual physical training that's proper if you're going to try to do such a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we often don't f- make that connection to what our, the, the training our soul needs. Yeah. And that's what the wilderness section is. And uh, so as we go through the, you know, when you're going through the wilderness, there's two key questions. It's the question, will he protect us because mm-hmm. we're vulnerable, we're in danger, and then will he provide for us? Mm-hmm. And there's actually a beautiful little chiastic structure in this section where chapter 14, the question is, will he protect us, protect us from Pharaoh, protect us from the most powerful army in the world? Um, the answer is yes. Then moving in chapter 15, will he provide for us? And then there's a threefold, uh, will he provide water? Will he provide food? Will he provide water? And the answer is yes. And then the, it's the, it's some is concluded with the story of will he again protect us from the Amalekites? Not mm-hmm. nearly as strong and as powerful as Pharaoh, but still every bit a threat. And so will he protect us and will he provide for us? So we're just going to give you a couple um, helps as you read through this section, some things to key in on so we can become better readers of the word. Mm-hmm. And as we become better readers, we want to be delighters. Mm-hmm. We want to delight in it. Mm-hmm. We want to see the pattern and the plan for the wilderness so we can understand when we're going through that and understand, yes, he will provide, he will protect. We can trust. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really what the wilderness is trying to teach you. Mm-hmm. Times of dependence and times of, um, it's trying to train obedience and teach dependence. Mm-hmm. 
So we can write that on our chalkboard. <laughs> we train. Well, what Duly do you noted. Well, how did it go? Teach dependence and train obedience. Train obedience and teach dependence. Go. That's what we're working on. Okay. Okay. So a couple things to note. First important thing is the crossing of the Red Sea, actually moving. Um, you know, it's very interesting. I actually think the literary structure, I think a, a good literary structure is to read this from chapter one all the way to chapter 15. And so that's one literary arc. And mm. so you could read that whole section like one, that's one episode. That's mm. one large episode. And in chapter 14, it's the uh, crossing of the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. And that water imagery is significant just mm-hmm. in the Bible. You pass through the waters of judgment. Mm-hmm. So the waters of judgment come on Noah. He has to be rescued through it. They are going to pass through these waters of the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. And then Paul will say that's a baptism. They've been baptized into Moses because mm-hmm. you're passing through the waters of judgment. That's symbolic that baptism is. Mm-hmm. And you can see here's there's a progression. They're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They pass through the waters of judgment and baptism Mm -hmm. and then they come out into the wilderness where they need to be trained and then they ascend the mountain and meet the lord um the exact same pattern we'll see in matthew chapter 2 3 and 4 as we're going through Mm -hmm. um, matthew but going through the waters of judgment it's kind of interesting that uh when god created the heavens and earth there was the water above the water below it kind of they were in between mm-hmm. here in this section, chapter one. There's the waters, in essence, the waters above Nile, and then chapter fourteen, the Red Sea. They're caught in between those waters, mm-hmm. waters of death, waters of judgment, and they pass through them to life. Mm-hmm. Um, any echoes back to the flood, like with any having passed through the Red Sea, rung any bells? Do you think? Yeah, with, I think so. Um, I think it's part of that. The, 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 the water the is there. symbolizing chaos and judgment. Mm-hmm. Those are two images that it's symbolizing. They're passing through. So they're being brought through um, the waters, and then it's actually the means of judgment. So salvation is always both judgment and mercy. They're always mm-hmm. together. So it's the mercy shown to the Israelites, and then it's judgment that's poured on the Egyptians, mm-hmm. just like in the flood, just like um, with Noah. You know, mm-hmm. They receive the mercy. And then the others receive the judgment, just like on the cross. Mm-hmm. We receive the mercy. He receives the judgment. They're always together. Um, and then moving. And so a couple of things as you're reading through chapter 14, a couple of the key verses you want to um, be heightened to. So like in verse 4, uh, what's the whole point? God's going to reiterate it several times in this chapter. So that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. This is the point. So that they will know. I am the Lord. And then what is Israel's call? Um, in verse 13, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. And then once again, uh, in verse 18, so that the Egyptians, that they will know that I am the Lord. And that's why all of these things are happening. It's a declaration to all the nations that he is the Lord. This is who he is and what he's like. And then moving into chapter 15, you stop. See, you ought to love this. It's the musical. <laughs> it's Exodus the musical. Actually, the Pentateuch <laughs> is a musical, and thinking of it like a musical will help you understand it mm. because you stop here in Exodus 15, and then there's a song. Mm. So we got a song and a dance. <laughs> and the songs are very strategically located in the Pentateuch. Mm. I can. I'm pointing behind me, which makes for bad radio. But you, there's a fabulous book over what, here. What, you guys on, don't see? On, well, now they can't even hear me because I turned my head. There's a fabulous <laughs> book over here on the theology of We're the Pentateuch. We're awesome podcasters. 
that I will show you later that talks all about how important the songs are to understanding both the structure and the theology of the Pentateuch. So you can see this in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, it's a song, and then Adam breaks out in song when Eve comes, and then larger songs at the end of Genesis in 48 and 49. It's the song of Jacob, and then you have the song of Moses. You have the song of Miriam. You have the song of Moses again at the end of Deuteronomy. And all of these songs are summaries of the action so far. So these are actually beautiful ways to make sure you're tracking with what the Lord wants you to know. These are the summaries. They're mm-hmm. summarizing. And this song, um, in many ways, you could say this song in chapter 15 is a theological heart of the book of Exodus so far. And it's uh, a beautiful summary of the theology it's trying to teach. And the whole point is so that you may know who is the Lord. And then this is a song celebrating what they've just learned about who the Lord mm-hmm. is. And so, um, so key in on the music, like we talked about last Sunday, learn to hear the music. Love it. And then one of the things you'll, you'll key, you'll see or hear if you're listening to the music (laughs) is how significant bringing them into, uh, the mountain, taking them up in the mountain, planting them in his holy abode, bringing them into his house, because the whole point is presence. The whole point is to dwell with him. All right, then in verse 22, they shift, the song ends, and now it's time to move into the wilderness, into the desert. Mm. And this is where the training happens. But it's neat, though, like once they... Stop and delight in what God has done. That's when they are ready to be trained. Like the Lord's using, using I think their hearts of gratitude and like they've remembered what He has done. I just love like they've they've yeah. experienced such trauma. Yeah. And up until this point, God's just said basically, watch, just watch me, watch my glory on display, because they're not ready yet to you know, to endure training because they've just endured such oppression and hardship and slavery. And, and so they've just seen God's glory on display, him accomplishing all these things. Then their hearts are finally, I think, able to process it. They sing unto him, unto what he has done. And then God's ready for training. Yeah, it's an interesting thought to think about how music and the, the celebration of worship factors in because it's both the culmination of the redemption. It's the appropriate response to the redemption they've just experienced. Mm-hmm. It's the, and then it's also preparation for the difficulty they're about to mm-hmm. experience. Um, so moving into the wilderness training section, it runs from 15, verse 22, all the way to the end of chapter 18. Okay. And again, the whole theme is that you will know who the Lord is. So he's about to make himself known. In the Exodus, he makes himself known as the, their redeemer. And then now in the wilderness, he's about to make himself known as their provider. Mm-hmm. But the way this works is there's three key, what we call murmuring passages, where they murmur, mm-hmm. they grumble, they complain. And the first one is about water. Where's the water? Mm -hmm. And then the second long section is all about bread. You provide manna. And then the third grumbling section is once again for water. So it's water, bread, water. Mm. And in some sense, you can't, I mean, you can't fault them. Right. They're in the wilderness, in the desert. Mm -hmm. They want water. Mm -hmm. 
You're not going to survive very long without it. And so the first request for water, it says in verse 25, mm-hmm. that there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. Again, this is to train them. This is to prepare them. And saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. So he's saying, you trust me. If you listen, your job is to be diligent to obey, and then I will heal you. I will take care of you. Right. So he provides there. And then in 16 is the famous... um, Provision of manna. Mm-hmm. So manna comes. And uh, this is a long chapter, but some of the keys to key in on. Um, he gives them two main commands, and it's a command on how they're supposed to gather and then when. Mm-hmm. So the first command is they're supposed to gather in such a way. Um, they were not to gather in a way that was selfish or hoarding. They weren't to be greedy as they gathered. So in one sense, you were, you were to gather what your family needed for that day. So they're basically gathering. The intention of the gathering is to foster like daily dependence. Mm-hmm. Daily dependence. And then you have, um, they're, they're, not, they're commanded to not gather on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So on the Sabbath, the seventh day, you, the Lord will provide enough a double portion on the sixth day, so you don't have to gather on the seventh day. Mm-hmm. And what he's trying to teach them there is imitation. Mm-hmm. So they are to imitate the Lord. The Lord worked for six days, rested on the seventh, there to work mm-hmm. for six days and rest on the seventh. And so the two lessons are daily dependence, don't no greed, not mm-hmm. hoarding, um, and then imitation. So imi- imitating him. All right, moving into chapter 17, and then this is the... Famous passage, the water on the rock, um, where they they grumble and they quarrel. Um, this is one of the many cycles. You actually read through. It's kind of interesting because when you put all the different grumbling and quarrelings together throughout the whole cycle, there's ten of them, ten different episodes where they murmur and they complain. And um, so let's just reverse two, and you tell me what this makes you think of. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? See, this whole section is the Lord is testing them, not vice versa. Mm -hmm. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people taking with you some of the elders of Israel and taking your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. All right, so there's a lot going on here, mm-hmm. but can you imagine what it's like to have nearly 2 million people in essence complaining in the back seat on the trip mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. i'm thirsty come on are we there yet are we there yet give me th- i'm thirsty <laughs> grumbling complaining yeah. and you just want to uh, ah. uh-huh. like i promise you are not going to starve now there's a couple of really interesting just kind of hints or echoes and it's one of those things where you say hmm I wonder if we're starting to hear a, a, a variation of a tune that's going to play out through the whole Bible. But there's some interesting things here. Notice what is there. All right, the people make an accusation. 
It's a pretty serious accusation against Moses and the Lord. Mm-hmm. What did they accuse God of doing? Killing them. Bringing them out of Egypt so, so, they, so that he can kill them in the wilderness. Yeah. They're accusing God. What, what would we, like if we we're going to bring a formal legal case. He's a murderer. Yeah, attempted murder. Mm-hmm. They're accusing God of attempted murder. You kidnapped us. You brought us out here to the wilderness, and now you're going to murder us. Two million strong, not just us, our children, and our livestock. You're going to kill the animals. You're a, you're a donkey killer even. And uh, so that's a formal charge of attempted murder. This is serious. So actually, notice what he says. You are going to pass on before the people. We've heard that language, pass over. Mm-hmm. So it's so the language of a judgment. Will judgment pass over them? And then you're going to take the rod. What's the rod? The rod is the symbol of judgment. Mm-hmm. God's justice. When the rod strikes the Nile, it's God's justice judging the Nile. Mm-hmm. The rod is the symbol of judgment. Mm-hmm. So you're going to take the rod. And then notice what the Lord says. Mm-hmm. I will stand on this rock. Mm-hmm. All right, now it's not just any yeah. it's not yeah. just any rock. Mount Horeb. It's Mount Horeb. It's, it's the place of his presence. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to take the rod of justice and you are going to strike it. Mm-hmm. So it's this remarkable... I don't even know what it called. It's a remarkable humility where I will actually put myself. Right, who should sacrifice? It's a sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. Who should be in the? Who should get struck with the rod of justice? It's all yeah. you murmuring, complain, lying, false accusation, false accusing. <laughs> I, what word is that? I'm even trying to say. Falsely accusing. Falsely accusing folks, and then yet it's the Lord's mercy where He is actually going to put Himself on the rock and the. Judgment's going to strike him, and then life-giving water is going to flow. Wow. That's beautiful. And then that story is followed up by the Lord protecting them against the Amalekites. So they're vulnerable in the wilderness. He protects them. And then there's this interesting passage in chapter 18. So as you're moving, and it's another one of those where the, the action is going, it's moving along in a nice clip, then it's almost like things come to a halt, and you get more like procedural... Minutia. In fact, Nancy Guthrie, she skips this chapter. (laughs) What's happening here? It's nothing we're talking about. And actually, I'll point to another book that you can't see right over here on on Exodus, where Russell Blackburn, fabulous book, talks about, he he makes a compelling case that chapter 18 is at at the very heart of the book, because Mm. it's, uh, it's both it's both postscript and prelude. It's it's some it's summarizing the Exodus to this point and then establishing the needed order and structure uh, as they go forward. Now, what's interesting is all through the wilderness you have one crisis after another. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole series of crises. Mm-hmm. Is that the plural of yeah. crisis? Yeah. Okay, very good. <laughs> Got it. All right. So a whole series of crises, and the crises are are we going to be destroyed by Pharaoh? And the Egyptian army, no. Are we going to die of thirst? No. Are we going to die of hunger? No. Are we going to die of thirst? No. Are we going to be destroyed by the Amalekites? No. So one crisis Mm -hmm. after another is averted. And then here in chapter 18, you have another crisis, Mm -hmm. but it's not nearly as overt and as obvious as those other crises. Mm -hmm. So here's the crisis of organization. Order. So this is actually where you have the formalization of the office of elder. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually doesn't start in the New Testament. It comes all the way back to 
uh, Exodus chapter 18. And they already had elders, but now they're going to get a, a formal, in essence, job description. Mm. So here you have Jethro's advice. You can just look at the headings, Jethro's advice. What do you think of when you hear the name Jethro? I want to be careful when <laughs> I answer this okay, question. Okay, you don't have to say. <laughs> just curious. Um, uh, and so this is Jethro. So this is this is Moses's father-in-law. Is he a, a character on Beverly Hillbillies? I think that was the son, wasn't it? Jethro. I think he so. Son? Yeah. I think so. Okay. I'll just say that. Okay. Okay. Other images come to mind. Uh, yep. Beverly Hillbillies. Okay. And so Jethro. You're not necessarily thinking of a wise sage who's going to give you <laughs> administrative advice on how to skillfully manage mm -mm. a two million member strong organization. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what you get here. So watch out for your prejudices. <laughs> and so Jethro, Moses's father-in-law, you know, he's a priest of Midian, and you remember Moses rescued his daughters when he was fleeing, mm -hmm. and then um, he comes, and uh, it's fascinating, actually. Verse verse 11 of chapter 18 really summarizes the point of the book so far. Because hmm. here's Jethro, and he says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Mm -hmm. That's the point, that the Lord will be known among all the nations, that he is high and holy, majestic and holy, awesome in glory, working wonders. And now Jethro knows. The world knows. And then Jethro sees that Moses is carrying a... Uh, in inordinately large burden and preparing and leading the people. So he um, challenges him to reorganize the structure. So this is actually a crisis that maybe is not as overt as, you know, the water crisis. Mm -hmm. But in one sense, is every bit as serious. It's the organizational crisis. How will these people be led? You have to form the organization. So actually pick up and uh, look in verse... Let's start in verse 18. Okay. Just... You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide amongst themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people, and all this people also will go to their places in peace. All right, so here's the institution of the elders. They already had elders, and then now they're going to formalize that office. And notice what are they called to do? Moses' responsibility is to teach and to train them so that they can then help the people live in accordance to the law. Here's a question. What law? Yeah, they haven't received it yet. Yeah, they haven't gotten it yet. Uh huh. Hmm. But he's actually laying down the, the structure for this before. So this is it. This is Blackbird's 
point in the book why this chapter is so significant. He's actually laying down the organizational structure so they can then apply the laws that they're going to receive. Mm-hmm. And so part of it is they need to learn it. And then Moses' responsibility is to teach. And notice it's able men from all the people, mm-hmm. um, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and hate a bribe. Mm-hmm. And then you place them over, and they're the ones who are going to be responsible to make sure justice is executed in the community. And so notice those characteristics. Able men, mm-hmm. fear God. Notice trustworthy, but then hate a bribe. Mm-hmm. Why do you think he puts those two things together? It's not just trustworthy. They also need to hate a bribe. Mm-hmm. Probably because it's coming. <laughs> people, <laughs> yep. People are sneaky. <laughs> um, people, watch out for those sneaky folks. Uh, but isn't it? I, I find it intriguing that it's so much easier to resist a temptation you don't have. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if there's something you hate, it's not super hard to resist that temptation, right? And so, it is interesting to think about how he doesn't want them just to be trustworthy. He wants them to have. Yeah. Another thing I love about some of these qualifications is that it's a, it's a leveling qualification. The the first one, mm-hmm. look for able men from all the people. Mm-hmm. Yep. This was a mixed yep. crowd. Yeah. So there yep. were Israelites and, and Egyptians. Egyptians. Yep. Yep. And, and so, so it's not just the aristocracy or right. the nobility. It is, right. um, it is a truly in, in the ancient world, it's unprecedented mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. democratization mm-hmm. of these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's lifting up. Mm-hmm. He's lifting up the character mm-hmm. and the integrity yep. of whoever yep. fits yes. these qualifications. Character is king. Mm-hmm. Yep. Character is, is key and character is king. Um, so I think it's really important that he's going to establish these structures. I'm fascinated by the fact that it's Jethro, who he's not an Israelite. He um, actually, well, we don't know what type of revelation he's received, but mm-hmm. Moses is very um, willing and eager to learn um, on the organizational front mm-hmm. from from somebody on the outside, mm-hmm. and they come and create good order. So these are the lessons uh, to be learned in the wilderness. The wilderness is is the place that's going to teach you that he will protect and he will provide. He will provide the necessary resources you need to survive. He'll provide the necessary people you need um, to survive and the structures. It's good. You know, once some sense it's just interesting. The soul can't survive without the wilderness. Mm. So we need it. As much as, you know, one of the reasons why we shun the training, the preparation, is because it's hard. Mm-hmm. You know? It hurts. It hurts. I mean, there, there's a reason that it's hard to prepare for <laughs> things like a half yeah. marathon. Because it's actually hard. Yeah. And then it hurts. And it's so unglamorous. You know, there's no fanfare. There's no, it's just. It's ordinary. It's ordinary. It is fascinating how many people in the Bible, when they meet God, they meet him in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Jacob meets him in the wilderness. Hagar in the wilderness. Moses in the wilderness. Elijah in the wilderness. We're going to see we're in John, or we're in Matthew chapter three, and it's John the Baptist comes preaching. Where Where is he? He's in the wilderness, and those first couple chapters are showing even Jesus' preparation of going out into the wilderness and then uh, to be baptized, pass through the waters, and then into the wilderness to make war on the devil. So what do they learn in chapters 1 through 15? That they will know that it is the Lord who delivers. Mm -hmm. And in chapters, in essence, 16 through 18, they will learn that the same Lord who delivers 
is the Lord who will sustain and he will train. Mm-hmm. That's a good rhetorical phrase right there. Yeah. Yeah. The God who delivers is the one who sustains and trains. He sustains and he trains. <laughs> so as we prepare to close, let us just marinate uh-huh. on. We're talking uh-huh. about pre- prepare to close. <laughs> yeah, we're preparing. Yeah. This whole preparation podcast. But yeah, let's just meditate on that wonderful um, closing line that the God who delivers is the one who sustains and trains us. Thanks for joining us, guys. Have a great week. Are there going to be any sound effects? You never know. You never know when sound effects will <laughs> pop up. I'm just, I'm just so used to having the intro be <laughs> sound effect, and then I laugh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll just go cold turkey. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to. Um, let me start over.